0: Assalamu'alaikum, welcome to the Wardah Books Podcast. Uh, Today we are doing things a bit different. Um, We have invited our friend uh, Amira Aslam to speak with uh, Farhad Amin, the author of Smart Single Muslimah and her latest book uh, Smart Teenage Muslimah. So I hope you enjoy the program.
1: Assalamualaikum and welcome to the Warda Books podcast. Today we're excited to be speaking to Farhad Amin. Farhad Amin is an author and host of the popular podcast Smart Muslimah. She shares Islamic life advice via her website to help women achieve confidence in their faith. She has over twenty years of experience in the area of teaching and parenting. Alright, Assalamualaikum, Sister Farhat. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast with Warda Books.
0: Waalaikum warahmatullahi khair for having me on. It was, it was really nice of you guys to invite me.
1: That's so great. Uh, I'm so excited to be speaking to you today. So Smart Single Muslima is a best-selling book um, that came out, I think, maybe two or three years ago. Uh, what led you to writing this book particularly?
0: Well, it was a book that I had not planned to write. However, the topic of Muslim women and the challenges that they're facing, that's something that I, as a Muslim woman... I've been interested in since I was 18, I think. And a lot of the books that I have read by Muslims and non-Muslims have always kind of been on that subject. If it's about Muslim women, I tend to want to read it. And what was interesting, I that when I read, I, I take, tend to take notes I've got lots of notebooks with in the notes about the what I learned from the books and you know just interesting things to help me digest and and really absorb what I am reading and two years ago what I noticed was that the issue of marriage kept coming up but um okay marriage is a perennial topic for muslim women however mm. the um in specifically the idea that it was getting difficult to get married um and it was and this was something, I'm sure brothers have the same issues, but because I I'm, I socialize and, and talk to and, and read about women's issues, that I don't touch upon the men, to be honest, I don't, that's not, I stay in my lane when it comes <laughs> to that, and so I, I was noticing this was coming up a lot, and I was just curious that why is that happening, because um, I would say when I had got married, which was approximately 25 years ago, it wasn't as difficult, mm. and um and i don't know i'll be so interested to hear your thoughts as well and so then i was looking at okay i was asking sisters and i, I have a podcast as well smart Muslim a podcast but i was asking sisters why is it then why why do you think you, it's difficult and um so they were giving their views and but then i thought okay let me do a bit of academic you know in quotes mm. research on this and i looked at some papers i looked at books written by non-Muslim women in particular about the whole idea of being single and the kind of what's been happening in the non-Muslim, you know, sphere, as far as what's happening there. And what I found so interesting was that if you look at your average um, secular non-Muslim woman living in the West, the trend is that they are not getting married. And so this is just statistics here that mm. they've said that they're not getting married. And this is a trend that has happened since... Really, it's begun in the 1960s. The trend for marriage has gone down. And the reasons why they are not getting married is that they don't feel marriage is necessary anymore. And we can definitely, again, if you you read papers on this and and books, feminism definitely comes into here and and the sexual revolution. There's a few things going on here uh, that contributed to that trend amongst non-Muslims. And you have now. There's a really interesting book called All the Single Ladies. It's written by an American journalist. That I think that was a really um, interesting to read. That the point that they have got to now is that marriage is redundant, and it's actually okay to not be married. You can just what you can do is you can um, have your relationships um, without the need for marriage and you can just be happy you can be content with whatever with those life choices and you don't need to lose anything so for example um, in in the in western societies if you do get married your as a woman your potential to earn is reduced Mm. uh, compared to a man and they give various reasons so when women take take career breaks it's very difficult for them to then get back to that same level of pay or be equal to men. And so what this author was saying, it chimed with what many uh, other non-Muslim writers were saying, is that women don't need marriage anymore. And the thing is that with the proliferation of, um, you know, dating apps, just Tinder, et cetera, you then don't need that need you have for companionship or, you know, intimacy is fulfilled through casual relationships. So that's what they're going through. Now, the thing is, for muslim women out so many of those things that i've listed so um okay premarital relationships um the you know even the idea of uh, i haven't mentioned the idea of motherhood yet that mm. again they say it themselves it's not valued as much as it used to be in in you know in these yeah. modern societies now for muslim women that that is problematic that firstly we cannot uh, alhamdulillah you know Uh, Our creator tells us we cannot have premarital relationships. You know, having Mm. children is a blessing. And the vehicle to achieve that is marriage. Alhamdulillah, our deen tells us to get married. But we're living in societies that are telling us to not get married. Um, That that is the issue. And without realizing it, we are getting... Our view of marriage has been affected. And I I include myself in this. um, Has been affected and but then we're also being subtly put off it where we're thinking, oh, I don't need to get married, or um, it will just happen, or my marriage isn't a priority, it's you know, it shouldn't be more of a priority than any other um things that goals that we want to achieve. So, these are the things that I do, I'm looking at in the book that we need to rethink this. That if we're gonna copy and without subconsciously just following, um, what non-Muslim women are doing and what secular kind of liberal society is us to do, we end up being unhappy because many of the wonderful sisters that I've spoken to, they want to get married, but they, they've said we don't realise why it's become so difficult. And what I'm saying is we've become affected by ideas that contradict our being and we need to rethink this. So that, that's the whole premise of the book.
1: Right, thank you so much for that. Yeah, th- there's definitely a lot of challenges um when you talk about like getting married. You know, I was thinking about, you know, the title of your book. It says um smart single muslimah transform how you approach love and marriage. Because it's, it's, it is that's what it is, right? Because the way that we look at things is going to affect the way that we proceed in how we how we how we look for a spouse, what we're looking for, and whether we even want to in the first place. Um and and like you said, if we are influenced by you know secularism and like if you just look at the data which is horrifying <laughs> then you know ra- oh, yeah. any rational person would think like uh no i don't want that like i'm going to be unhappy and like all these things um yeah so that's really interesting that you that you said that and i'm, I'm glad this book exists um so that people can have you know yes. that they, they can really transform the way they actually think about like love and marriage in the first place especially from uh, a quranic lens or like you know a prophetic lens um mm-hmm. So so let's talk about then the your the next book is much teenage Muslima, um. How different do you think are the challenges facing teenage girls versus teenage boys, and how would you say your book addresses these challenges?
0: Oh wow, that's a really good question. Um, okay. So can can I can I just very quickly go, go just go back to the the first book. I I did want to mention that a lot of the ideas that I said of creating um trouble for muslim women winning up mm. marriage. Uh, well you know okay so we've got secularism feminism um the idea of, of um uh, individualism so so much and that but also i did i don't think we should let the muslim community off the hook here um mm. in that there are certain ideas that we fundamentally know are not from islam but we have as a community, and I would say worldwide, adopt them. Um, And they are also creating barriers for, for marriage, and namely racism and nationalism. You know, Islam came to demolish, you know, in the time of the Prophet, it literally came to demolish racism and tribalism. And... The thing is that our borders were created by the colonialists who um, occupied our lands, but we're still holding on to them. I know we still have nation states, but mm. when it comes to marriage, for example, you know, when you speak to women, they'll say, you know, wh- there aren't enough men out there. aren't. Where are the good men or I can't find someone suitable. But when a family totally cuts off a whole nation from you know ethnicity of a girl their daughter allow being allowed to even consider someone from a different ethnicity and make it very narrow that you have to be from a particular tribe village caste uh, of course that is going to cause problems so I, I just wanted to mention that there are issues that as community we have we need to remove from ourselves because they, they are Jahil ideas and mm. that would also help it relieve that problem
1: actually it's good it's great that you mentioned um racism and nationalism because i i was really surprised i think a few months ago i was talking to a friend who's like you know around my age um you know late late 20s early 30s and we're in mm-hmm. 2023 and mm-hmm. she was telling me how like oh i'm not even gonna gonna consider people outside of my racial identity mm-hmm. and i was like oh i i really thought that this was something that maybe your parents impose on you but like this was like she she was just like, no, I it's just not an option for me and and that really caught me by surprise uh and and so it's great, it's great that you are also addressing this in the book because I I've always assumed that it was more of like a cultural family thing rather than like you know like a modern person uh way yeah. of thinking. So it was really surprising uh for me you know,
0: it is it's it's and I think the thing is that ideas are passed on from Sometimes if on family or sometimes just from the whatever we are consuming. And I think this is why we have to be very careful as Muslims to think about what what am I consuming that is affecting the way I think to the point where I'm actually disobeying my creator and, and mm-hmm. that can happen. That I'm not saying everyone has to marry outside their culture, but you know, when we ask the question why is it so difficult to get married, I'm saying this is one reason and we mm-hmm. should address this because we don't then this problem will continue so you know there's ageism as well where Mm. is that coming from the the idea of divorcees that they are still seen as mm, you know second option and you think why when the prophet and the sahaba you know through practice we see they didn't do that and they got they got married very easily Mm. people say oh it was so easy in the past in the time the prophet islam came to bring ease do so you think, well, okay, me as an individual, am I creating hardship for myself? Mm.
1: You
0: know, stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think one 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 thing that comes up is that we have a choice, right? We have a choice in how we decide to practice our religion. And and when we unthinkingly adopt ideas like this, maybe it could be that we were just like being heedless, that like we're not really thinking about it. But yeah, definitely, mm. definitely I, I think like, you know. Just the idea of our shahada is like, we are choosing to say that, like, nobody is coerced in this, but you have to really choose how you want to obey your creator and, and what that looks like in your different, yeah. I guess, um, situations. Yeah. So the second question <laughs> that I had, um, how different are the challenges facing teenage girls versus teenage boys? and how would you yes. say your book addresses these challenges
0: i'd say there are challenges that young teenagers of all faiths are you know are really grappling with and i'd say nowadays the idea of being very individualistic i think that you know manifests in many ways so one i'd say being obsessed with yourself mm. and your needs and what you want and you know that idea of me myself and i it's become it, even more concentrated nowadays. And so everything that you want is important. And you don't need to think about how your actions impact others. It's about fulfilling your desires and your feelings. And so then you know teenagers are living in this bubble where they they feel very entitled to having everything and people should accommodate them. And that's not because they were created in that way. It's society has mold is moulding young people to think like that nowadays. Um, again, if we look at the uh, fundamental beliefs of liberalism, um, which is the dominant you know way of thinking in the West nowadays, it is individualism, and your your rights are so important, and it's about demanding and getting those rights. Now, there's the caveat of as long as you do not harm anyone else, hmm. but we can see pe- that caveat that kind of is is ignored a lot of the time because, you know, when being selfish, you're not thinking about what what harm you're going to create to others. So that's one thing they're being told to do. Then another um, idea that is being pushed to girls is to be promiscuous and to sexualize themselves, and that somehow by doing that they will be happier and they will be empowered. It's not It's not just about dressing anymore. It's about how you, um, that you should be the sexual being. Again, this comes back from the sexual revolution, that fulfilling those needs and desires in any way you want to, um, you know, and gaining pleasure is completely okay. You know, don't break the law, you know, there should be consent. So you've got these, those two ideas. And then again, feminism as in, you're coming back to your rights, that everything you should be able to do, everything a man or teenage boy can do, you know, you should be treated the way you want to be treated. Um, so, for example, if you were however you want to identify, mm. others must accept that, even if it goes against reality. Um so, it's not making young teenagers happy. That's one thing that's very interesting. If you look at any studies done by Pew or in the u k there's the n h s just looking at the again the data data on research about the happiness levels of teenagers in the west um it's they come very low in the ranking in the in the so called third world and developing world um young women are happier mm. but you think okay so they give they're, those are the challenges they're facing but at such a young age they're expected to you know be promiscuous they're expected to make decisions without the you know advice or the reliance on their parents because you'll find that the role of parents is diminishing you know every Mm. year and and that is very troubling because young teenagers their brains are still developing they don't have the experience um, required to you know, know things about safety, about, you know, about who to trust. on on In a world which is extremely shallow and based on appearances, a, a, an older, wiser individual in your life who you can get advice from and that can tell you, well, okay, this is what you need to be careful about. It's like that advice of elders is being ignored. And just as an example, if you, the way that how how do we know this? How how am I coming to this conclusion? Now, all you need to do is look at, um, for example, Netflix shows that are the target audience is teenagers. I'm going to give you the example of Wednesday. Mm. It's um, it was very recent, and it's about if if anyone who doesn't know, it's part of the Adams family. There's a their daughter, a teenage girl called Wednesday. If you look at her character, now the show in itself, like, I watched this for Research purposes, because mm-hmm. I wouldn't watch that by choice. Okay, she's extremely rude about her parents, like to the point mm-hmm. she she totally disrespects them, always telling saying horrible things about them. She's she's a know it all. She's very arrogant, and um, what's interesting is she doesn't present herself in a sexualized manner. That, that because the character is very you know is gothic, but um it's this idea that she knows ev- she knows everything. She's very sarcastic to people, but she's the heroine. And mm. I was thinking when any teenager who watched that would think, oh, wow, I'd like to be like her. She's so clever. She's so um, independent. This is a, you know, um, she's got two or three guys that are after her, you know, as far as they, they, they're attracted to her, but she can just, you know, she can have any guy she wants. And I was thinking, this is so unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and she can, yeah, this is the other thing. She's in dangerous situations. She can fight, you know, it's like she can do everything. And, you know, there's so many, so many shows are like that. There's a new Amazon Prime show called Power. And again, it's about women and girls. And, and you see every show, there's, you know, Miss Marvel as far as, you know, it, it, the Marvel show. And you'll find that they all have that very similar message. Um, and you think after a while, this is, of course, a girl who's just watching these programs. It's going to affect your thinking, and what I, one of the reasons I wrote the book was that I thought there are very few voices which are saying to you, "Oh, sorry." Another thing, and Wednesday, she's an atheist. She says it's very clear. Mm. She says, "I don't believe in God. I don't need him," and mm-hmm. again, that is a very strong message that comes out in these. So, well, I was thinking for for an average Muslim girl now, where is she going to get information which actually says to her, "You know what? Islam and religion are not the problem. Are not the cause of your problems." To follow your dean will actually make your life better. To turn to your creator for help, that is what you should do. You can't fix everything on your own. You're not this super intelligent girl who, you know, who doesn't need her parents, who, you know, who can have as many guys or girls as she wants. And because I thought there are not enough voices or books or media that are giving that message to our daughters, nieces, and sisters. And I thought that is a real problem.
1: I saw this this article that you had shared, or some statistic about that they they get messages from boys asking for like nude selfies up to like Mm -hmm. 9 to 11 times a day. Which is just really wild to me, um, and and this is really scary to think about, right? Like as a mother, or even as as an auntie, or just somebody who's concerned about like the young girls in our lives. I I mean I've seen the reviews. Like it's not just teenage girls who are reading the book, but of of course their mothers as well. Um. So inshallah, like you know, they get guidance on on how to to go about these things.
0: Mashallah, our our masjids, our you know madrasas, you know all the places that we have where um, teenagers can go to gain knowledge. Alhamdulillah, they are doing an amazing job. And I think what would make that even better is that if they tackle the issues that girls are facing, such as, you know, they are facing sexual harassment, we're facing an epidemic of consumption of pornography by men and now women as well. And the things that we need to, you know, and, and just wanting to understand what Islam has to say about sex education, you know, you know, the so Islam perspective, these are things that because of the hyper-sexualized g- world we live in globally now, uh, because unfortunately the, the ideas regarding sexual relations that exist in the West are now being exported, you know, internationally. We have that. So it's coming to our countries, it's coming to our homes. And the best way to um tackle that is to talk to our teenagers and young children uh, age appropriately of course about this so that they are not um beguiled by it because you know all these things are very exciting and very and it makes them seem exciting and fun and our youth they don't know how to deal with it except for and with you know of course with social media everything's there the click of a button so for parents you know for aunts uncles for teachers if we address it you take the um it's like you take the magic out of it it's like um it's so oh so they think okay now so right we understand what's going on now that a lot of this it's interesting with the sexualization of our societies it's it's linked to capitalism that they're trying to sell things so whether Mm. it's trying to sell pornography or sell um you know, sell movies, shows, books by making it sexualized. But if you take that away, that power away from it, by explaining what does Allah say? This is how we view. It's not the most important thing in our lives. It's a part. And there's a time and a place and there's privacy and there's heya and there's modesty and you don't have to be obsessed with it like they are, because we've got, because they've got nothing else. That's the thing. Mm. What you know. The, so in the book, I do have chapters about pu- puberty and Islamic sex education, purely to help parents. If you don't know how to talk about it, you can read the book and then talk about it to your child, or you give it to your teenager and then, because if you, because it, it is embarrassing. It's it's not the best. You know, not you know, you don't really want to talk about that. So hit, I thought, how can I help parents with that problem that they have? Um, and yeah, and it took me a very long time. I'll tell you, I was uncomfortable writing it, but I thought, no, as a teacher having and a mum and how, having having no I'll do it, inshallah. Um, and yeah, and inshallah, like you said, I really do hope it helps parents.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important that you said that it was hard even for you to write it because you can imagine like, you know, for, for other parents who, who maybe don't have that kind of relationship or the guidance or like resources, it's going to be like even worse. So so if it was hard for you, who who's already an educator, then, you know, like this obviously is something very necessary um, to have. And especially in short life, it, it'll be a good resource for them. As like someone who's surrounded by like friends and relatives who are parents, I really see what like a massive undertaking it is, um. And I always think about this quote attributed to Serena Ali, who said, "Do not raise your children the way your parents raised you. They were born for a different time." And like I said before, you you have experience over twenty years experience in like teaching and also in parenting. Like, what would your advice be for Singaporean couples thinking about starting a family?
0: Firstly, Alhamdulillah, I think they should remember the reward inshallah they're going to get for having children um I, alhamdulillah i have three children and um the blessings and the joy and the happiness that my children have brought me the outweigh the you know the difficulties and, and the sleepless nights and you know and let's say the hardships so it's interesting that um this is another statistic i, I wish i had the exact name but there's recently studies that have been done that in the west the a number of children that people having is declining and it's in japan for example it's they're, they're at quite a critical right now so they are not happy the birth rate is lowering each year and when i look at that statistic it makes complete sense if in in liberal countries which believe in individualism and are extremely secular or atheist they have no reason to go through they have nothing to hold on to when times are difficult. You know, there's no hadith there to tell them that Jannah is at the feet of your mother. You know, there are no hadith there for them to say that every I'm paraphrasing that, you know, every hardship, you know, with every hardship there is ease was ease. No, so that's a that's the eye of Quran. Um, but you know, even the hadith about any difficulty that a believer goes through, you know, you will gain reward for that. It's you know, the angels are writing it down. So if you have nothing to help you during the hard times, you're not. You're going to choose not to have children. You maybe you'll have one, and you'll think, "That's it. I'm not having any more." Why? Why would I spend my money on children who, you know, cause me sleepless nights, and I get overweight, and I have to, and I, you know, that when you hear, I'll be honest, when I hear non-Muslims speaking on the radio, she talk, she talk, radio talk, um, ins about children, it's there's a lot of negativity and they always think about cost benefit. Um and and I and I have to turn it off because it got, it's it's not good. I don't like that mentality because it goes so against Islam. Whereas for Muslim parents, so we're thinking they our children could be a source of jannah for us if we mm. you know when we pass away they will do du'a for us inshallah if we raise them correctly we'd give them good tarbiyah and good adab they we will be a source of sadakah jariah for us uh, now so i think that's parents should really focus on on the rewards of parent you know being parents now the thing that in 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 today's society i think the thing that parents need to do is if we just focus on teaching our children our deen and being good examples, but you know, practice what we preach. We won't be perfect, we're gonna make mistakes. But if we keep focusing on that, we know we have the truth and we teach our children that, and then we, you know, create environments for them where they can meet other, you know, they're playing with, you know, they're with other Muslim children, other Muslim families who are going to keep um, you know, encouraging that goodness and and the following of our deen then the things that are happening in wider society they then will be more, more um able to deal with them so when they see things that contradict islam they they'll have a foundation there and of course they're going to make mistakes be prepared for that um but at least they have something that they can say yeah i know what my parents taught me is true and and it shouldn't be just uh, okay believe in it because we tell you to you know that um of course it's a point where they, as young children, they do. That's all they do have have to do. They just follow. But as their, in you know, abilities increase, intel you know, intelligence wise, we can then give them more explanations. We can have better discussions with them. And again, that's one thing that in in the first two chapters of um, of my book, Smart Teenage Muslim, I do. Oh, the first chapter dedicated to why do we believe in Allah? Because mm. uh, when you're a teenager, that is. I remember as a teenager definitely thinking about that and alhamdulillah i was able to find the answers. this is when i was 18 when i was prior to that I, I to be honest i was i wasn't very i wouldn't question much but then and then the second chapter is um why we believe in the the quran is the word of allah and then what is the purpose of your life these are questions that you have to discuss with young teenagers because even if they they might not want to ask you mm. they will be thinking about it or society will for sure will make them question so I think if if parents just do those two things inshallah and then do lots and lots of du'a to Allah with help to help you do you know because without Allah's help you can't be a parent it's it's mission impossible you just you need to when you're upset and you and when you in your you need to ask allah for help you need to you can even complain to allah about your situation and ask for guidance and and things change you know allah turns the, everyone's hearts alhamdulillah i i was listening to i went to a, a lecture recently and um again the brother was talking about this that how muslims alhamdulillah they our weight of, you know as far as population wise it was the, it was the census it was that he was speaking about The global census that the number of Muslims is still increasing year on year and it's because we keep having children Mm -hmm. and and I thought that's really amazing alhamdulillah they keep talking about population they when it comes to the Muslim world they will always speak about overpopulation and that's the problem they'll what they will look at is okay well what about distribution of resources and um you know the the greedy accumulation of wealth in in developing nations um but we keep having children and we should continue that. We shouldn't listen to anyone who tells us no. Have less children. You know, of course, based on your, like physically, how you much you can manage. That's one thing. But this idea of no, just have one or two. If they want, if non-Muslims want to do that, because they don't want to go through the challenges and they don't have any concept of reward in in the next life. But we're very different. That, alhamdulillah, that this makes us very unique, and we should, um, you know, follow the the saying of the Prophet sallam, where he said, you know, he wants to have children, you know, that on the day of judgment that, you know, his nation will be so large. Again, I'm paraphrasing. But mm. Alhamdulillah, that's what our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says. So that's who we're going to listen to.
1: Yes, exactly. Um I love that you included that first chapter just to establish like why it's important to believe in Allah or like why we should believe in Allah. Um I also, I think probably a few months ago when I came across that article that like, people are watching like TikTok videos of witches, which sound, oh, sounds sounds yes. like such an eighteenth century thing, um. And mm-hmm. I used to always wonder, like, why? How would how would um, believing in a faith be, be attractive in this time with like, will like technology and science? Like, why would anybody choose to? To, to believe in in something they can't see or, you know, like a higher power and stuff like that. And then when I saw that article about people becoming witches and I was like, oh my gosh, like that's literally people are searching. That is fitra, right? So people are going to look for something to fill that, that void that like science just cannot answer. um And so yeah. I think it's, it's really great that you have that that first chapter just to establish that because clearly, even if like you said, like even if they're not asking these questions, they're obviously thinking about it because God has placed that seed. Because it's fitter. Like people are going to look for, for a higher power or, or answers to these big philosophical questions that everybody will, will have in, in their lifetime. And if we have that as, as they are teenagers, as they are maturing, then inshallah will give a solid foundation for their adulthood. So I do have one last question. Uh, so I was, I was reading up about like, the work that you've done uh, i came across your bio and mentioned how you find inspiration in surah al asr can you tell me more about that
0: oh yeah alhamdulillah um yeah so i i with with surah asr i think you know i remember reading when when i read the tafsir of that many years ago and i've um revisited that a number of times that in the tafsir it said that if a muslim just took the um teachings and of, of this surah and encompass that in their lives, that would be it, it's like that's Islam in a nutshell. And um yeah so if I if I just read the translation by time the human being is in loss except those who believe and do good works and encourage truth and recommend patience. So as many of you know Wal in al ilal amanu what sabr now, so as a Muslim, if we, you know, everyone will be in loss except those, and we want to be those that exception. So, if we believe, if we do good work, so we obey our Creator, encourage truth, and recommend patience. So, it's not just enough to believe; we have to. Alhamdulillah, we have this beautiful theme of ours. We. And we need to tell others about it, you know, Muslim and non-Muslim. And um, But the way we should do it, it has to be with patience. And so we can't be arrogant in the way we do it. You know, we have to think about, well, what are the concerns that this, the people, the person that I'm speaking to, what are the issues that they're grappling with? So you talk to their level, you know, and you um, tailor what you're saying to help them rather than just it's not about oh, look at me, I've got so much knowledge and I'm just going to blast you with this now and you have to accept it. So it makes you very thoughtful about how you invite and educate um, people to Islam. And so um, bearing that in mind, I thought whenever, um, whether it was my podcast or the books that I've written, um, I thought I have that has to be the measure that I use. Um, and... Um, yeah, Alhamdulillah, and it keeps you, um, what's the word, it keeps you, keep your ego in check and keeps you very grounded because Alhamdulillah, all of us have been blessed with different talents, you know, Alhamdulillah, um, I used to be, um, I used to work as an English high school teacher, Alhamdulillah, I don't do that anymore, I, I just teach online. I'm quite good at writing that's what I realized and I thought and I enjoy researching and I enjoy you know reading things I was always a bit ner, I was extremely nerdy at school mm-hmm. and I thought that's my talent that Allah's given me so that's what I'm going to use to um you know to spread Islam and if I can see I can help others and it's interesting when I was I worked a number of schools where I saw the trends that were happening amongst teenagers, girls and boys. But it was when I was working at the girls' school, and that was an all-state school, but there were many, it was majority Muslim girls. I loved teaching that at school. That's when it really did, I realised how hard my young friends, my young sisters were finding it to be Muslim, but living in the West, when so much of what they were being taught and what they were in even the books that I was uh, had to teach them. Um, like for example, I'll just give an example. I didn't. I didn't teach A level English, but I knew one of the books on the curriculum in England is um, *The Handmaid's Tale*, and that book is so anti-religion and is it's um, anyone who re- reads that you will read. You'll think I hate religion. I hate men and it doesn't, it, although it doesn't, it's a very kind of, you get the, it's a kind of Christian religion that they're saying is it, taken over the world, you, a Muslim girl would read that and see, think, you know what, that's what Islam is like as well, Islam is so misogynistic, it's so, because you'll they'll think of examples of where men have mistreated women, and that does happen in our communities, I'm not ignoring that, but it's very easy to put, you'd read that, put two and two together, and think Religion is the problem. Muslim men are the problem. I don't want to be, you know, I'm not going to follow religion in that way. And that's what they're being taught as in the A-level curriculum. The poetry as well uh, will be a number of the poets are lesbian and it will be either extremely filthy or it will be very, you know, um, pro-lesbian poetry, basically. And you think, and the majority of people, it's girls who mainly take A-level English and you think it's to call it indoctrination would be um, just you know i wonder if that would be the right word but it's it's like propaganda literally and the, our girls are taking these courses and they're reading these books and they're falling for it hook line and sinker you know you touched upon lgbtq before and it's so interesting that muslim muslim women in particular are being um Again, I'm going to use the word targeted because, you know, one book, you'd say, OK, that's just one book. But like five books, five shows, you know, five movies, all giving the same message where I have a chapter on this in, in the in the book where I look at Muslim representation in in popular culture. Each of those. So whether it's um, Harla, which was um, produced by Apple movies, there's Miss Marvel. There's um Everybody Loves Jamie. That was a prime movie. And um, there's um, Elite, which was a Netflix movie. Um, now, all of those shows, um, the thing they have in common is they, they all encourage Muslim girls to take off their hijabs. Mm. And they're pro-LGBTQ. You'll have a Muslim character. If not all of them, the, these are the like the, what they'll have. So it'll be pro-LGBTQ. There'll be either some kind of lesbian or gay friend in there. Who the Muslim girl will put, be friends with and will support, and they'll be, you know, buddies. Or the girl will be taking her hijab off, or she will be getting into a relationship with a white boy, or a um, or a Muslim boy, as in um, an example of Miss Marvel. And you think, wow, that's um, that's so interesting that when they do represent Muslim teenage girls, these are the ideas that they give to them. And again it's not a coincidence um so as, uh, what i'm thinking i would say is, parents it's quite difficult uh, we're in the situation where you can't say to your daughter if they have a smartphone they can access anything so the clever thing to do is rather than say no you can't watch this is either watch it with them or ha- talk to them about it because that's what uh, rather than them just having one version numerous times as an intelligent parent if you're on the ball get them to question well is this true is this even realistic so and that's what we have to do so they'll get one version from books and movies but we have to give them with the real version
1: Inshallah. yeah inshallah yeah that's really interesting that you you're bringing up the, the idea of like media representation and like you know and you use the word specifically like they're targeted right like clearly there's something that they want to push on on viewers and consumers um Mm. and you know you're a prolific writer yourself you've written on like several important topics and you don't just write but you also have your podcast so perhaps your next project would be a screenplay (laughs) inshallah oh Oh, that would be fun (laughs) have you considered that before
0: i'll tell you what has happened which i didn't i wasn't even wasn't on my radar i got approached to have my book um translated Mm, and um yeah I was I was really surprised I'll be honest this was actually a, a brother but it was through a sister in Turkey um she got in touch with me and said we'd like to translate your book and I, and I said why I was, like, <laughs> I, I was like oh really and and she said well no she goes this um this brother who works at university he said he read your book and he said this is spot on this is what we need and and I said but my I'm coming from the western experience here that Muslims that girls having and she said no 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 um she goes we are facing all these issues in Turkey with mm. our teenagers they need you know parents want are struggling they need to give their girls a book to read like they're telling them things but it's like well, after a while your parents it's just like background noise and they, they start ignoring you and so they need to have from another voice um so alhamdulillah it's being translated into Turkish and French And I'd love it to be translated into other languages as well. You know, I'm open to that.
1: Congratulations. Yeah, I think that's really important. And, you know, the way that you talk about like the West is no longer a geographical location, right? Like the West is now an ideology. It's really like a lot of countries are are behaving like the West or like taking looking to the West for... know for how how to live their lives um i mean obviously hollywood and pop culture is seeped through even countries that don't actually speak english as their first language so uh, it always surprises me when i travel to places that don't they don't really speak english but like all their movies are hollywood all their songs are the songs that we hear in in the west so yeah it's really Mm -hmm. it's really everywhere um yeah it's great that your your book is getting um that sort of reception um, inshallah this Ramadan I shall make dua that the next one will be a screenplay so that it would be you know on Netflix <laughs> or Amazon Prime or something because that's really how people consume uh information right now right like through videos and um and through movies and stuff like that so yeah maybe that's yeah. your next project inshallah So I mentioned how like you you've written on all these really important topics like the hijab, feminism, even child loss. And like it's always true like the women's lens or like women's topics, right? And and you didn't say that it's because you wanted to stay in your lane. <laughs> but if you could address if you could address the men, like what would you say to them?
0: Alhamdulillah, you have a lot of men who are in positions of power and alhamdulillah, they should see that as a blessing and think I'm gonna use that power to help um, implement Islam so that men women and children get the justice that Allah has given us in the Quran so i think that um, alhamdulillah men are heads of household so that that is a source of gaining jannah if you give justice to all the members of your family
1: yeah that's beautiful mashallah thank you so much Mr. farhad for your time tonight
0: oh it is like a lovely speaking to you You know i might be coming to singapore um, oh really yeah me and my husband were uh, um Planning a visit to Malaysia, and then my husband said, Oh, we could pop down to Singapore. And I was like, Oh, yeah, that would be lovely. So, yes, if that happens, I will get in touch with you, inshallah.
1: All right, thank you again so much for your time. Have a blessed Ramadan. And you too. Assalamu alaykum, As-salamu alaykum.